From Impact Alpha Media, this is a special episode of Returns on Investment, a show about impact investing. From New York, I'm Brian Walsh, head of impact for the fintech company Liquinet. June 2017 marked the 10th anniversary of Liquinet for Good, the corporate impact program I helped launch and continue to oversee. To mark the occasion, we hosted a special forum at Liquinet's global headquarters in New York, featuring three panels exploring what the next decade will look like across the field of impact. Philanthropy, impact investing, and business as a force for good. This episode features audio from the panel on the future of business as a force for good. Daryl Brewster, the CEO of CECP, which is the CEO force for good, moderated the panel, which featured Cami Erickson, a senior manager with LinkedIn for good, representing a public company perspective, Jen Field, social impact director for GLG, representing a private company perspective, and Andy Fife from B-Lab, representing certified B Corps. Daryl from CECP will be the first voice you hear. And uh, really delighted to have uh, this, this, this panel uh, together uh, and talk about the business uh, side of, of things because we have folks from, the, from a public company, from a private company, and from an NGO that is supporting uh, companies uh, like that. Thought, because we haven't talked a lot about the, 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 the role of government today, right? We haven't done much, but I, I'd like to get a sense in the current socio-political environment. I'm just gonna ask you each for, you know, introduce yourselves here for just two words, because we could probably go on later, but just two words about kind of how you personally are feeling. Let's kind of get everybody connected here and then we'll, 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 we'll go from there. And, and Jen, who is um, with the great group at GLG and used to work at CECP. Uh, Jen, maybe you kick it off for us. Um, sure, thank you, Daryl. Thank you, Brian. Um, I have to say 10 years ago today, when Brian started this morning with where were we 10 years ago, I was interning at CECP. So very good. Very fun to be here. Um, and I started my career in government. I don't have two words to answer that question, but from 2001 through 2006, I worked at the White House and in the U.S. mission to the United Nations. And maybe the words I can say from that experience, so not necessarily related to what's going on today, but government is not enough. Um, and through my, my early career in the White House in the West Wing, I saw all these uh, leaders of the biggest companies and financial institutions in the world passing through the White House, and I felt like those individuals um, leading those companies have such a huge opportunity to do good in the world, and government isn't enough. Um, so I, that inspired me to transition from government uh, through CECP and into Goldman Sachs and GLG and working at this intersection of government, private, and public. So my words are not enough. Right, not enough. Okay, we got those. Uh, how many LinkedIn people we have here? Are LinkedIn somewhat in LinkedIn? On LinkedIn. Are you LinkedIn on LinkedIn? Members. Okay. Awesome. Not, actually, you don't have to work at LinkedIn to qualify. <laughs> you just have to do LinkedIn. All right, and uh, your two words, uh, my since two Jen words went over the limit here. Are hopeful and potential. Hopeful is my one word. Hopeful. About the role that business can play at this moment in time. And um, like Jen, I have spent my career working at the intersection of uh, nonprofit, now private sector, and I've also done some work with governments um, and truly do believe that cross sector collaboration is key. And um, am feeling really inspired actually about all the great work that many companies and leaders are doing right now to step up in this, you know. Difficult time. Great, great, helpful. Andy. Uh, I would I would say uh, privileged, uh, and also a sense of urgency for a lot of what we're seeing right now. And, and you know, I think our impetus for a lot of our work is saying that you know government nonprofits are 
are necessary, but insufficient alone to address a lot of these issues. And I see uh, at least a part of our team and our B Corp community, no better time than now to unleash the power of business to address some of our biggest challenges. Uh, and I think what's unique, and B Corp is just one example, and you know, not the, the special snowflake, uh, but it's been able to really garner that bipartisan support uh, that I'm happy to talk about, and it's exciting for us to see. Great, great. So I mean, we've kind of talked a bit in so far, I mean, perhaps the government, which in many ways was the expectation would help to address some of the key social issues, but perhaps has limitations right now in this area and, and others. Uh, regulation, uh, we just had from our last speaker, that's, we don't do that anymore here. We're just cutting that, that, that back at this, this juncture. So we kind of have that. NGOs doing some wonderful things, but are kind of small in terms of the impact. We just looked at the dollar deltas in the, in the previous panels. So the sense of business playing a critical role here is, is, is really essential. Anything to elaborate on that from, uh, from y'all's perspective? I mean, why, why business? Well, I think you know, we work within a capitalist system and okay. um, the businesses have these, the, the resources and the mechanisms by which we can really scale. Okay, um, great. So the sense of resources being an important aspect of that. Other, other thoughts? Yeah, I would say in addition to resources, the ability to get things done and test and iterate quickly. Um, at LinkedIn, it's really exciting to work at a company that has half a billion members at this point around the world. And so there's just a feeling that there's so much potential if we could help connect you know, all of them and ultimately everybody in the world to economic opportunity that we could make real change. And also that there's huge potential in the data that we have at our fingertips to better understand you know, what economies look like, where skills gaps exist, and how we could use that data to actually inform investments made uh, by philanthropies, by governments, and by other companies into this space. So I think definitely scale and ability to move and test. So we get resources, scale, ability to adapt. Uh, Andy, anything else to add? Yeah, I'd say you know, for us, a lot of the collective voice that, that businesses can, can have together, I think that's been really important for us to see. And, and with that, that's what creates a lot of the pressure to create those public-private partnerships. But also the pressure to say, hey, it's not enough just to have purpose behind your company. You know, we, we hear a lot about you know, saving the world through donating shoes or, or this and that, but being able to translate that into purpose and, and bring that into practice and actually measure upon it. Uh, and I think that's been brought up in the last two panels a lot, but it's been great to see the for-profit companies uh, lead in that regard as well. Can I add one more sure. thing? Um, I would re be remiss not to mention the importance of employee voice in all of this. And I do, in my role at LinkedIn for Good, I work on our social impact programs and also lead all of our employee engagement efforts. And I do think that employees now are expecting their companies to be aligned with their values and are putting a lot of pressure on their leaders to walk the walk. And I find that very encouraging and I know at LinkedIn, there's just so much discussion about our company's mission and vision and a feeling that if we're gonna stand up and represent those 10,000 employees, and now that we're part of Microsoft, 110,000, um, you know, it's incumbent upon us to live sure. those values. That's great, great. Some, some great thoughts there in terms of the business role. It's interesting, anybody, the Edelman Trust Barometer, people familiar with that? So Richard Edelman, who's on our board, they do an annual survey of citizens around the globe. And, and business, by the way, on a trust level is, is pretty low. Um, as one CEO said, thank goodness for Congress, because that's the one thing lower than, uh, than, than, than CEOs. Business is a whole not bad, CEOs fairly low. But within that context, um, when it gets to adapting to the changes of the world, business is very, very high. Business is good at responding and reacting to a world that's dynamic and changing. And four out of five people around the world agree with the notion that business can make a profit, 
We heard that a little bit before from Daniel, but also do good for the world. In fact, that's the expectation, is business does both. That's the consumer's the employee expectations. And I think increasingly we're hearing that from investors, it sounds like, as, as well. So let's kind of go through a little bit of a history here. If you go back 15, 20 years ago, um, there's only a handful of companies that were even doing CSR reports in the Fortune 500. I think you count them on one hand. Today, that's virtually all that are doing it. But it was a day of checkbook philanthropy, and it's kind of adjusted then. Then there's been social engagement where you got employees more engaged and skill-based volunteering, and we've tracked that through with, with CECP. Today, it's, even, it's much more integrated in the business. Thoughts about how that's evolved over the last, uh, last few years? Maybe we'll start here with, with, uh, with Cami this time, and we'll, we'll, we'll evolve around. So. Well, I think it's definitely evolving. Um, my experience at LinkedIn has been that we're really focused on trying to integrate social impact you know, into the core of the business and throughout everything we do. Um, and we've had some really good success launching pieces of our product in this way. One example is the volunteer marketplace, which we launched about five years ago, which actually ingests hundreds of thousands of skills-based volunteering opportunities onto LinkedIn with the hopes of giving all of our members an opportunity to give back in their communities and apply to those opportunities like they would jobs. But it's a, it's a small example, but um, when we launched it, we were able to really build this marketplace by creating what we call uh, the volunteer and causes section of your LinkedIn profile, which I bet many of you have filled out. And this is essentially the part of the profile where you can share what causes you're passionate about, what kind of volunteering you've done. Um, and by getting that integrated, not only onto the profile, but into what we call guided edit, which means that when you create a new LinkedIn profile, that is one of the sections that is, pops up and is recommended that you fill out. We've been able to scale this marketplace huge, incredibly, incredibly quickly. So I think back to your question, I think there's just huge opportunity to, when I say integrate into the business, you know, much of what we're doing is being advocates to our product people, our engineers, trying to figure out how do we get out of our own social impact silo and you know, not just focus on the nonprofit partnerships and grants we're writing, which are all really important, but how do we actually change the way the business is thinking so that we can create more inclusive So products. still writing checks, but at the same time now leveraging your systems, your capability, your skills, and what we've kind of called sort of a horizontal benefit because it could help any cause, whatever your cause might be, rather than historically it was a check to a specific cause area. Everybody can benefit from exactly. that. Exactly. And Andy, I guess at, at GLG, or I'm sorry, at, um, uh, with B, 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 B Lab and B Corp and B there's, Team, there's, you can explain those a lot for a second. Bees, a lot of bees, bees out there. Right? B Team. Killer um, bees. <laughs> Uh, so we also started 10 years ago, so we're also celebrating our, our 10 years uh, as an organization. And when, when we first started, uh, we have three co-founders. One came from private equity and managing the Dell Foundation, and two others were successful entrepreneurs starting a, a basketball footwear apparel brand called And One. And when they sold their company, uh, you know, it was about a quarter billion dollar company with a good supply chain, good you know, inner city basketball programs, and, and uh, taking care of their workers. Uh, through that succession or that acquisition, uh, a lot got thrown out the window. And so two of those co-founders walked away and said, how do we make sure this never happens again? And so they did explore, hey, should we start a foundation? Should we get an impact investing? And they started to talk to the folks like Gary Hirschberg from Stonyfield, Yvonne Chouinard from Patagonia, and Ben Cohen, you know, some that sometimes call themselves like the accidental business people. <laughs> and so they, you know, they had these conversations and said, what needs to change? And, and two of the big issues that they wanted to address was saying, hey, there's this behavior change happening right now that we all know about you know, looking at that bag of coffee and, and what are those seals of approval that, you know, uh, motivate us to purchase or support that company. 
uh, or you know, job seekers hoping to bring their purpose to work, uh, or investors looking at more of a, a shared value uh, in, in what they're investing into. And so we wanted to address two, two big issues, and one was saying, hey, in corporate law, you know, the fiduciary duty of corporations is you know, predominantly to maximize profit. Uh, and on the flip side is that there's no way to really look at a good company from just good marketing. There's no certification out there for the actual company. Uh, and, and so B Corps, you know, even though we do this certification, uh, that is not the end goal of our work. This is to look at a community of practice and say we need to demonstrate and exemplify the leaders, but more so to inspire the rest of the business community to act more like B Corps. Uh, and, and I think what's most important for our work looking back and looking forward is how do we take this behavior change and make it more normative and institutional? Uh, and so, you know, fast forward 10 years, obviously a very complicated industry, but Laureate Education, Laureate Universities uh, did their IPO as a certified B Corp and a benefit corporation. And so at least that is a, a testament to show, you know, that the, you know, the market and investors are literally buying into this paradigm shift uh, that is started from a certification that could be a sole proprietor consultant or, you know, a cocoa company in Uganda. Uh, but inspired more and more companies to think through what is the role of business and how can we look forward and inspire the next generation of, of younger leaders to follow suit as well. Great. How many, just uh, as a, a numbers thing, how many states now have approved uh, Benefit Corporation? Uh, 33, and most notably Delaware. Um, and and Italy, Italy has passed it as well. But obviously okay. Delaware was our big uh, milestone. The big state corporation. Yep. And how many companies now are considered B Corps, the numbers? Yep, uh, and again, confusing, because certified B Corps, benefit corps, uh, for the, the certified B Corp community, there are about 2,300 uh, in 60 countries around the world, representing 150 industries. And actually, more than half our certified B Corp community is actually outside the US and, and growing at a faster pace. The legal structure for benefit corp, um, that's been available since 2010. Maryland was the first state to pass it. There are about 5,000 companies registered as a benefit corporation. And most of them are startups doing it from the ground up, but then you have companies like Ira Glass, you know, transitioning uh, This American Life from a nonprofit to a for-profit, sees Benefit Corp as a great way to do that. Uh, you know, Kickstarter and Patagonia, all the way up to companies like Laureate. Okay. Jen, your, your thoughts, and you've seen this quite a bit of a change since you were at CCP 10 years ago, yeah. and uh, kind of what, what you're seeing, and then how is GLG engaging? Sure, thank you. Well, every company can sort of practice this in a different way and should practice it in a different way based on what they do and their products and their people and their geographies and all that. Um, and that's, it's been an exciting time to work in this space. Um, after CECP, I was at Goldman Sachs for five years during a time where they made kind of um, significant shifts in how they approach um, philanthropy, social impact, whatever you want to call it, from you know, focusing grant dollars on education for high potential youth in the United States to turning global, thinking about investing into entrepreneurs, back to the pipeline issue, connecting those entrepreneurs to capital through partnerships with CDFIs and multilaterals. Then um, that sort of evolved into the urban investment group, building out that work through different financing mechanisms, pay for success, the, the social impact bonds, and then to buying imprint capital after I left. So really exciting. Um, dynamic time at Goldman, and I joined GLG um, to sort of do that all over again. There was a company that had a resource and wanted to do good in the world and didn't know what that meant. Um, so in my initial kind of presentations, I would talk about shared value, so exactly what Andy is saying. Companies don't just exist anymore to maximize financial return to their shareholders. They, th those companies that outperform their peers are the ones that are maximizing value for all of their key stakeholders. So at GLG, we are a learning platform, and our key stakeholders are 
our experts. We have half a million subject matter and functional experts who are essentially uh, <laughs> <Another> big trade. <laughs> uh, essentially. There we go. <laughs> I, I take this as a good sign for our 10th anniversary. This doesn't. This usually happens every couple of weeks. So two in one day is pretty good. All right. Very good. <laughs> um, anyway, back to the stakeholders. We do this to engage the experts in meaningful ways, to engage our clients in meaningful ways, and to engage our people in meaningful ways. And it's been exciting over the last four and a half years to be kind of fully integrated into the fabric of the company. Sure, that's great. That's great. Just uh, quickly, uh, you know, why why this this change? What, any any sense of why this is happening? And maybe we'll talk after that a little bit about what some of the barriers might be as to why it might not happen even even faster. Andy, we're going to start us off, and we'll. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I do think that there's a sense of um, urgency behind this. And uh, when we look at where our growth is happening uh, the most around the world, it's actually Latin America. Uh, Chile, Argentina, Brazil, and Colombia are just skyrocketing in, in the growth of the B Corp community. And again, like, you know, that's just a, a, an indicator, right? Like That also means a lot of other things are at play with Skoll and Ashoka and all these other great organizations as well. Um, and, and I think just from my work with some of our, our team down there, we call Sistema Bay. Uh, is two big reasons. One is that in some of those countries and those markets, things have changed drastically in the last 20 or 25 years, whether it's uh, political, during different regimes, uh, and, and a lot of the issues that some of these uh, emerging markets or you know, these countries are facing is a lot of entrepreneurs are not waiting around to say, hey, I can address this through the private sector. If we need to have a better recycling program, I'm going to start a for-profit company and do that. Uh, and, and, or reforestation or uh, public-private partnerships that we're seeing happen really well. And so they see B Corp as a way to you know, indicate that, have like a good set of guardrails for the business, uh, but also on the flip side is looking at investment. And so when we speak to a lot of these entrepreneurs, they're saying, hey, I really want to build these bridges to talk to Silicon Valley and talk to these other investors. We see B Corp as a great way to do that, and actually our investors are encouraging us to do that. Uh, and so I, I particularly see it a lot with the younger entrepreneurs, um, but really the urgency in seeing opportunity and not waiting around for nonprofits or government to address something, uh, but going off and starting a business model to lean into that and then learning. Uh, and, and I think one, one quick story about that is there's a company called Boreo Skateboards. You know, they, they make skateboards out of uh, injection molded fishing nets. They work with fishermen in Chile. Um, with B Corp, they were able to tap into Patagonia's uh, $75 million uh, tin shed ventures fund and create a partnership with them. And so we're continuing to like these creative partnerships uh, that, that companies are seeking around the world, and, and I think it's primarily coming from people feeling some urgency and inspiration. Good. Are there other drivers that we're seeing that have really pushed this ahead? Jen? Cami well, um, mentioned this before, but millennials, millennials. I don't think okay. can be ignored. The statistics, you guys have probably all heard them. Many of you probably are millennials, are incredible. They want to work at companies that embrace these policies and uh, will accept, you know, the statistics show they'll accept a lower salary in order to feel like they have purpose. Labor work. arbitrage play, right? I mean, think about it, right? People volunteer. They believe in a cause so much they'll actually work for free. So, I mean, how do, you, do companies tap into that, to, yeah. right? I think it's a huge one. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I think the other one I would add is just the scope of the challenges that we're facing globally and the pace of change is so fast that I think companies like ours and many others are thinking about how can we truly create the most impact? And as a technology company, our belief is that we do that through our technology. Um, and so I see that. 
Sure. And of course, transparency or, or the technology has made, made everything much more transparent. The cost of finding out has gotten less, so you can kind of figure out whether this is a, a good people you want to shop from or others. So let's, we've got to come to a couple of lightning rounds here. Um, what's the barriers that are holding this? There's great progress made, you think, since 10 years ago, but many people think we, that companies should do more. How many people think companies can do more? Right, yeah, exactly, okay. What's, what's holding it back? We'll kind of go quick ones here, holding back on some of the, the barriers. Probably some leaders who haven't really come around yet okay, to seeing. Sure. Um, leaders who grew up in a different era when they, I don't know of any CEOs who got their job because they were socially responsible. If they were irresponsible and got caught, they just got a job at another company, right? And that's <laughs> been the, the piece. Okay, so leaders, the leadership generational? Yeah. Yep. I think limited resourcing continues to be an issue. And actually, as social impact becomes more and more integrated into companies, I think there is a risk that it, it can actually get lost. <laughs> um, so there's this tricky balance because you want to integrate, but then you also want to show the discrete value and get resourcing for these initiatives. So it's cool. a tricky balance on right. that one. Great point, great point. Andy. Um, you, know, I, uh, you know, Chobani brought this up in, at the Skull World Forum about regulation and being able to sell the company their employees actually cost the company $4 million to do that. And so I think regulation is a big piece of that. Uh, I would say for us, a little bit more emotional is complacency. So uh, either complacency of founders of companies that have said, hey, I've been doing this all along. Uh, you know, whether that's companies like Stonyfield or Eileen Fisher or Patagonia, those are tricky conversations to get into and say, hey, you should certify as a B Corp. I'm like, well, everyone knows we're a good company. We don't need this. Uh, and, and I think what's been really inspiring to see is that the leaders who expand their platform and it's not just about you know, talking about a good supply chain or taking care of you know, small-scale family uh, dairy farms, uh, but how do you expand that story and see like, what can we do together that we can't do alone? Uh, and not just with for-profit companies, but also other great nonprofits like the B Team, uh, for when they came up, like now we have a great partnership with them. And so how can we figure out, and I think this is the question earlier, how can we figure out like, where do we have that overlap and, and, and how can we continue to accelerate our work rather than siloing, uh, whether it's for-profit, nonprofit, standards, whatever it is. So uh, 10 years ago, right, it was uh, Liquid Net for Good founded. Let's think forward 10 years. What's your predictions for 10 years out in terms of where business as a force for good will be? Will we go back to the days of Milton Friedman, who said the one and only social responsibility of business within the rules of the game is to, max is to increase profits? Or will it be a new narrative? What, what, what are our thoughts on that? Cam, you want to start us off? Sure. Where's it going to be in 10? I do not think we will go back to those days. Okay. I do think in 10 years... Despite what Daniel was saying before, right? right? He sat yeah. in this very chair. He totally. was sort of, you know... Um, one shift I see happening is I think talent is going to be the biggest difference, continue to be um, the biggest differentiator for companies around the world. And I think increasingly employees are going to want to work for companies that matter and that that is going to become a real currency that shifts this movement to the next level. Next, to next level. Okay. More of it. Jen. Um, so in thinking about this prior to this morning, I was GLG, our kind of core client base, our investors. So we have all the big hedge funds, private equity firms learn through GLG, um, often related to investments that they're diligencing or investment theses. So the kind of data that we have in our system is a sort of like a heat map of what investors are thinking about. And you know, hopefully Edward Snowden won't uh, tap into it because it's a lot of valuable proprietary information to GLG. But we have started to see more of our traditional investors asking impact-related questions. So you know, why does ESG matter to me? Or 
what is the future of business as it relates to B Corps or pay for success financing, et cetera. So the majority of our work at, of my work at GLG has been to, um, supporting organizations in the social sector, but we're shifting to work with our more traditional clients as they start to move towards impact. And to me, I'm really excited about that, so I'm hopeful that the future of this, at least at GLG, is supporting the more traditional actors as they move along the impact spectrum. Andy, will everybody be a B Corp in 2027? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think any of us hope that. <laughs> Um, but what we do hope is that every company starts acting like a B Corp. And I, I think that's like really our, our theory of change and how do we expand our products. And I think it got brought up earlier, I think Dennis brought up that, you know, one of the best things is to make sure that your customers are successful and that's really why we started. What, what we're being challenged with right now is like how do we continue to help uh, more companies out there succeed and do this well, even though they're not our customers, which we can't monetize. We're a 501c3 nonprofit. We should be monetizing more than the work that we're doing. Um, however, we do have you know, a majority of the Fortune 50 companies coming our way and saying, hey, we can't become a B Corp, but how can we play? Uh, and so I think one of our biggest challenges as an organization is how do we scale with this trend that's happening and hopefully becomes more normative, but do it with integrity and rigor, particularly with such a global uh, operation that we have right now. Uh, and so I think we're, we're constantly being pulled back and forth on how do we keep up with the urgency and the momentum but also putting ourselves in check and asking the right stakeholders and how do we develop our standards and our legal component with the right voices and that feedback loop for us to do this appropriately. Great. That's a couple of questions here and we'll, uh, any questions? Yeah. Here we go. Norm. Daryl, this is for you. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, CECP represents a tremendous asset uh, to our country and our world. How do members of this audience and their constituents uh, interact, present themselves to your members so that um, the work that they're doing can really be leveraged by the asset that you represent. Sure. Yeah, you know, I think everybody here, you know, we work with 200 of the world's largest companies, annual revenues, or would be the third largest economic unit in the world after the US and China. So they're, they're very, very big companies. And everybody here interacts with our companies and many others as customers and consumers. So to the degree you, you, you like products that are being socially responsible, that are doing the things you, you, you want to do and like, you know, we'd encourage you to buy more of those. Uh, and those that you might think are not doing as well, not, there is incredible power there for, as a purchase side. We also, I think, see that through social media and the ability to kind of influence those. Um, another area I think that we also see is as employees. And that some of the great companies in the world, we talked about that before, another, I think, points that Daniel raised is just the scale that big companies bring to the party. So when you get a GE doing something big, or Morgan Stanley or others, the impact is enormous. And the companies do listen to a lot of people, but they listen to their, share, to their, their employees in, in, in a, great, a great deal. The other area that we're seeing really emerge now, um, and despite the trading that goes on here, which is still a very important part of what the market is, that a lot of the capital, the bulk of the money in the capital markets is money that's from our retirement funds, it's for education for the kids, it's long-term money. There's a role that short-term money certainly plays. And we're starting to see the major asset owners, the Vanguards, BlackRocks, and State Streets, start stepping up and saying, taking a longer time frame. The, the short-term matters, but thinking longer-term uh, within businesses, and we just did a, a sense, we, we put $27 trillion of assets under management in the room. By the way, that's larger than the NYSE market cap and NASDAQ combined to listen to companies share their long-term plans. 
And that's the kind of stuff I think that can really begin to make a big impact with what I, we call lots of zeros um, on the board. So I think as, as engaged with investors, not that we, we run the money, but it is your money uh, that's being invested in you collectively as consumers, employees, can really make a difference on big companies and our theory of change is, and I think it's great because you know, with, with B Corps, it's kind of uh, small companies up driving big companies. We also think big companies can help take the lead on this stuff as well. So is that great? One, one more, are we, okay. No, no, I'm not supposed to get questions here. I'm, I'm the moderator. Yeah, I, um, I had a quick question I wanted to follow up on um, something that's come up several times, the fiduciary responsibility thing. That's one of the, let's say, the pain points that are stopping businesses from becoming the force for good that obviously we all believe it should be. And there's, um, there's lots of, uh, of uh, stumbling blocks on the road to that. One of the things about uh, what, what B Corp has done, of course, is that it's, it's, a, it's a structure, it takes intent into action. It's a tangible, structural thing you can do to remove one of those pain points, the fiduciary responsibility, and say that, let's say, for argument's sake, you're gonna make a move that might necessarily be 100% towards shareholder bottom line, that's great. So looking to the future, I'm just wondering if there's um, anything else that can be tangible and structural happening on either the regulatory area, the way B Corp has done, or on fiduciary, or on, or on legal, or financial. Is there anything else on that level that can be a real tangible thing to just remove one of those structural roadblocks? Sure. Um, you know, one example, and Mark knows well, is the, the Etsy example of, uh, that you wrote so well about. Uh, and and I, you know, I think it's a challenge. Like Etsy is an artisan marketplace. They did an IPO, and they didn't become a benefit corp. That's been a very juicy topic to kind of think through how does that evolve, and obviously they're going through a lot right now. Um, the, the one element, I think, of our work that we're very inspired by is uh, working with Secretary Perez, or, uh, Perez of Department of Labor and uh, helping inspire some ERISA reform uh, through Benefit Corp and looking at fiduciary duties. So how do you look at the pension, uh, you know, looking at ERISA reform that can actually have a wider aperture on social and environmental considerations? Uh, and that's a lot of money that's sitting at the table. And so I think one thing that we hope is that our role is to you know, uh, create the infrastructure and just write the model legislation for Benefit Corp. What we hope is that other people run with it because we can't be sitting there and start, you know, positioning ourselves for procurement preference and tax breaks, which is always the first question from companies. Is there a tax break? Uh, and, and, and we want to continue to get that bipartisan support. However, there are other players around the field. We hope run with some of the things that this business community can inspire and then take it to something that's bigger. So I would say arrest reform, who knows if that's going to... Uh, evolve or revolve back. Uh, but it is something for us exciting to see that it, it can inspire some, some bigger decision making, which has a lot of money at stake. It's also a, a legal piece, and there are different views that the, the responsibility of the corporation is to the corporation. Um, if you put your company up for sale, then it should take your maximum price. But day in and day out, um, it's not as well defined as I think a lot of people uh, play. That's why we think the major asset owners can play such a critical and important role because that is where the vast majority of the money is invested. But it's, it gets a little crazy because most, the assumption right now is you've got to manage your company for short-term profitability maximization. That's actually not the law. The law is the corporation needs to run for the, the benefit of the corporation, which has an, perhaps an extended time frame. That's a whole other question. But I do think the capital markets, I do think us as investors, as consumers, can really make a difference. And that data is increasingly the companies that take a longer-term time horizon, that meet the needs of their customers, employees, um, community and planet better, perform better over time. That's going to do it for this special episode of Returns on Investment. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe wherever you get podcasts these days and tell others about it by leaving a rating and a comment. For more on impact investing, be sure to subscribe to Impact Alpha's daily email newsletter 
at impactalpha.com. Thanks to our technical producer, Isaac Silk. Thanks, Isaac. From New York, I'm Brian Walsh. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Returns on Investment. We look forward to speaking again soon.